Bang bang. Bill Gates is getting divorced. So that's, you know, that's him and, you know, Big Jeffy B. The two richest men in the world. The two richest men in the world couldn't keep their girls happy. And we're supposed to? Come on, bro. Good luck, fellas. You can do your best. You can do your best. You can work your nine to five and you can bring, you know, you can bring home flowers. You can bring home you know, Tiffany jewelry from time to time. Chocolates in the shape of love hearts. You can clean the house before she gets home. You can try and have a kid to save your marriage. I don't recommend that, but these are just some options for you. You can do all that with your stupid nine to five, whatever you're doing, bagging groceries, collecting trolleys, you know, counting other people's money, doing injections if you're a doctor or something. Selling, you know, selling cars, selling real estate, waiting tables. Yeah, you can try and keep your girl happy doing that shit. Or you can sign up to bet with Joel at betwithjoel.com slash ref. That's R-E-F slash welcome to the potty. Enter promo code potty exclusive 50. That's potty exclusive 5-0 for 50% off your first week. Subscription or potty 30 for 30% off the NBA package. And that's generous. And you can start winning some some real cheese, some real chet, some real gouda, bro. You can start putting a little bit together and get your life back on track and hopefully avoid that, that big D. And I'm not talking about a slab, I'm talking about divorce, bro. Okay? You get it together, you start winning this money. Joel, he, he used to be, he used to be a full-time sports better. He's been banned from all the uh, from all the sports, from all all the bookmakers, because he was winning too much money. What? Too much money? Sign me up. That's what I said. You know, and it's AFL right now, NBA right now, really making some good some good coin. Well, I'm not because I've been I've now been banned from all the bookmakers because I was making you guessed it too much money. Is too much money a problem that you're trying to avoid or what? Why are your pockets so dusty, bruh? Sign up. Sign up. If you're gonna if you're gonna give it a try, just give it a try. Bill and Jeff, you know, maybe that was a problem of too much money. Too many bitch. These nerds finally got some got their coin up and now they're you know poking their little thing into everything you know they started with the loyalty like you've been here you've been my a1 since day one baby i'll, I'll never be with anybody else then they got their money up and they're st- still stressed they're still dressing like uh, you know semi-retarded adults you know but they're still getting that that side that side plusing you know, there needs to be, there's probably a certain amount of money you can have where like, you know, each, each 10 billion, you're allowed another side piece or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how it works, bro. You know, I said I made too much money from the bookmakers, but I didn't make that much money where I was, you know, earning side pieces and shit. I'm still loyal. 
But if you want, you know, if you want to get your side piece game together and get your, you know, get that wallet a little bit fatter and start cleaning out those, those dusty pockets, sign up to bet with Joel. Betwithjoel.com slash ref slash welcome to the potty and to promo code potty exclusive 50 or potty 30 for your discounted rates. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to the party. Welcome, baby. Welcome, boy. Welcome, baby. Welcome. Welcome to the party. Welcome, baby. Welcome. Oh, no, no. Welcome, baby. Welcome. Welcome to the party. Bung, bung. It's your man, Clay Tron, aka the Big Boss Man, aka the Clumsy Jeweler, because I'm always dropping gems, aka the Milkman, because I always deliver, aka the PhD of podcasts and the Magnum PI of podcasts and the Captain. I'm here today with Luke Fleming, aka the Mr. Threefold. Mr. Threefold. Yeah, how you going? Right here. Closer in. Yeah. Um, yeah, how you going? Going good. Going good. Yeah. Very uh, very nervous. My girlfriend's very jealous. She's an avid podcast listener. Oh, yeah. So uh, I am a little bit like Joe Rogan when I know who's on it. Yeah. Uh, and then other than that, no, yeah. no idea about the format. So no. here we go. Oh, it's just, it's just radio on demand, really, I'd say. Love it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, where do we start? Um, man, just, oh, I guess we'll give people a bit of a rundown. So you're, we went to high school together. Yep. I was a couple years older than you. Mm-hmm. I still am. Yep. Um, <laughs> Nearly caught up. <laughs> uh, and now you, you run a bar, you're a manager there. Yep. Uh, venue at, manager at a bar. At Paloma. Yep. And you have your own gin label. Correct. Threefold. Yeah. Threefold distilling. Yeah. Uh, so myself and two other, uh, you know, mates, uh, business partners, uh, we've all known each other separately for about a decade. Yeah. Um, so Steve, who's, uh, I guess, YouTube famous as Steve the bartender. Oh, okay. like cocktail tutorial videos and things like that. Oh, right. He had a catering company, but he also worked uh, in Glenelg, uh, kind of like a beachside uh, hub in Adelaide. Uh, and we worked in pubs together 10 years ago. Then when he started his catering, Aiden, the other partner, did work for him. And then Aiden and I uh, ran a bar together in the city yeah. for a couple of years and eventually all went, oh, how do you guys know each other? And shot the shit. Yeah. Drank a whole bunch and went, we could make gin. Yeah, right. And but you, so you went on, you went on a trip though first. That sort of yeah. So was that was the idea already in your mind before you took that trip? No, I had, I honestly had no aspiration or intention of becoming a distiller. Uh, If anything, I probably would have got into brewing. Uh, But I was kind of, I was working small bars for for a long time and trying to craft, um, you know, craft my trade get better at certain aspects of the job. And I don't think I fell out of love with it, but I was just finding more and more joy in the simpler aspects of it. You know, the perfect serve of whiskey, uh, you know, the perfect three-ingredient cocktail, perfect time for a beer. And that became more important than trying to force my agenda of what I like to drink down people's throats. Yep. Uh, And eventually I got hooked on... Uh, tequila and mezcal and not so much the technique of how it's made just the idea that tequila is made from this plant that takes you know 12 to 30 years sometimes uh, to grow and then harvest the 
that's that's 30 years of the sun and energy and life. That's how long going into a plant. Um, agave takes. Yeah, so Blue Weber agave, which is uh, the tequila kind of, uh, th- that's the only plant that tequila can be made out of. Eight to 12 years. Holy shit. But I never knew that. Yeah, but there are some uh, mezcals, which are kind of the general category for what tequila is. Yeah. That are made from all different types of agave. Um, some, uh, you know, 30 years and huge or tiny. So many variants. Wow. So, like, when once tequila has been, is it distilled tequila? Yeah. So once yep. that's been distilled, is that ready to go straight away, or is it doesn't need to age at all? Uh, it usually needs uh, just over two months. Uh, okay, so and that's that can not be in stainless steel, and that's your silver or a blanco tequila. Yeah. Uh, and then they've started introducing aging categories and regulating that a bit more. That yep. uh, you know, reposados have to be in a barrel for X amount of time. Uh, and Yeho even longer, and now extra and Yeho. But um, for me, the the idea of throwing tequila in a barrel is kind of sacrilege. Like it's a bit weird. It's like it took so so long to grow and make this thing, and it's such a labor intensive yeah. process. Like the farming is mental, right? Mental. They get paid like these himidors, these farmers uh, get paid nothing, like barely anything. I think they get treated fairly now. Because it's a bit, bit better regulated by yeah. some of the bigger and smaller companies, uh, but for a long time they're earning nothing doing backbreaking work. Yeah, like each of these plants are like eighty kilos. It's crazy, and then you you've got like, like the Rock, who's like the yeah. face of a tequila, making like millions off of it probably, and then these guys are just making like uh, pennies for sure. But I'm for it. Like there are certain cases where you know, eccentric, rich maniacs go to a village and go, oh my god, this is like the best tequila I've ever had and just like almost buy the whole village. They employ all the, yeah, all the fathers, they employ all the mothers to do other aspects of the job. They put electricity in the town, they build schools for the kids okay. and they, you know, they, they're far and few between. There are some companies that kind of take the piss, but the farmers are starting to learn their rights. I'm not everywhere, but there have been situations of um, mezcaleros or distillers or however you want to say it, pretty much going to the Mexican government fuck you, yeah. you need this liquid, liquid more than we do and just pouring out in the streets like they're a massive. Right. Is, there, is, there like a, is there a home of tequila? Is there like one town uh, that sort of... There is actually a town called Tequila, oh, right. Tequila Valley um, in Guadalajara. So that's uh, pretty much just below California. Like yep. You're going to be lining it down. But there are seven states now that you can make tequila in. Right. Could be fact-checked on that but that's fine and i can't pronounce most of them yeah so <laughs> i won't try and what was so what was your what was your trip where where were you when you started to learn the whole process uh i first so i was backpacking through central america so spent a bit of time in costa rica spent a lot of time in guatemala just dicking about uh and then got to san cristobal and oaxaca, oaxaca first uh, so Oaxaca is uh, the southwest coast. Um, and, yeah, just went to a couple of farms, kept it really casual for a while. Like uh, I used to uh, be a sales rep for a couple of mezcal and tequila companies. Okay. And pretty much shot emails out going, oh, yeah, cool. Like I'm in town. I used to work here. And they were all very accommodating going, yeah, sweet, come by. We'll put up lunch for you. We'll show you the farms and all that. Yeah. That was great doing tasting, kind of getting an idea of like actually feeling the plant 
that you drink. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's very, very cool being able to drink something and go, oh, yeah, I taste this and taste this. But when you feel the raw product, the raw material, and being able to relate that in how things are made is much more important, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so that was very basic, how it's made, what type of distillation processes are used and cooking processes. Uh, but once I got to uh, Guadalajara and uh, tequila, you know, the Tequila Valley, and I just got lucky. Same thing. I messaged out going, hey, Fortaleza, Los Abuelos. Uh, I used to work in Australia just selling a bit of the booze. you mind if I come have a look at the site? And they went, well, actually, we've got this massive work, like a bartender convention going on. Uh, there's like 40 of them partying on. Do you want to join in? I'm like, oh, Yep, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. That sounds brilliant. Uh, and then two days in, the the owner of the company, Guillermo, just goes, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, "Oh, nothing. I'm just kind of hanging out." And he's like, Look, "I've got this idea. I want to do like a work program, and I want to teach bartenders how things are made in every process, whether that's farming, growing, you know, pressing the liquid, cooking the agave, distilling every part of it. Uh, would you be interested?" Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Sounds amazing. So, yeah, got a real idea of the basics of how, like, I always knew, you know, you ferment something, you boil the alcohol off and you condense the alcohol to get higher proof, but kind of learning how they cut certain parts of a distillate so you don't let things distill too far, otherwise you get really funky esters. Okay. And you need to get rid of the first part of the distillate because it's not good for you. Real dangerous stuff. Right. So yeah, it's just how they blend it. A little bit of waste. Yep. Yep. Like, uh, I think the worst, amazing experience, but the worst day of my life was uh, at Los Abuelos. Uh, they pretty much grab these giant agave plants, which uh, imagine giant potatoes that look like pineapples. Right. Uh, that's that's what they look like. And, and you cut it off and you try to, you get an axe and you like try to cut into it and it's super starchy and really hard and, pain in the ass uh but they cook it in like this massive brick oven huge you know fit fit a couple of hundred a couple of ton in there yeah uh then once it's all cooked all that starch is broken down and caramelized it's soft they have a giant stone wheel like the size of you know six foot stone wheel wow so a couple hundred kilos and they push that stone wheel around in this pit that you throw all the agave in yeah and it presses all the juice out they do that by hand that's that is nuts so you're like gumboots on in this mush like soft sludge of agave pushing this 100 you know 200 (laughs) kilo stone wheel around trying to get all the liquid out and then it all drains out it seems so suspect uh but makes good liquid yeah so yeah wow cool stuff huh and so how did one yeah what what would what's your favorite tequila uh oh man same thing yeah of course uh let's go fortaleza blanco always was even before i went there okay uh so pretty much uh this this dude guillermo was the grand like the grandson of uh salsa salsa tequila is like quite a big brand quite commercialized and i believe his grandfather sold the company to like a bigger conglomerate and just went, yep, cool. Make whatever you want. I don't care. I'm taking my money and running. Yeah. 
uh, you know, skipped a generation. Guillermo went, no, I want to get back in the tequila game, but I want to do it really well. And he just, you know, attention to detail in every aspect of it. And it just makes excellent liquid. And at the time, it stood out for something you could get kind of readily available if you looked for it. it it's by far and like by far and away the best mainstream tequila okay. I could find back then. So yeah, um, yeah. I've never I've never really gone far beyond like um, yeah. Like 1800s. Yeah, Don Julio, Patron, all that. And, you know, I I think uh, Don Julio, Patron, to an extent, 1800, are all well-made products. But uh, it's, I don't know, I hate hate geeking out about it because it's very subjective. But, you know, if you taste a well-made whiskey, Mm. there are some that are just undeniably good. Yeah. Like some people have, you know, the go-to on-the-shelf whiskey and go, "That's, that's a burn, I love that. Yeah. And then you try, I think one of the f- most popular ones in the last few years with me bartending was uh, Hibiki. Yep. Like it's Japanese, Japanese whiskey. Yep. And everyone's like, oh, like, God, this is mind-blowing. How is something so flavorful and smooth but and tastes like whiskey but doesn't doesn't make me want to like, throw up or yeah. cough? Like, this is incredible. Uh, you can find the same in every spirit. Yeah. 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 So whiskey, I'm, like, I'm sort of getting into whiskey a bit mm-hmm. lately. Um, and so I'm just like, my go-to is just blue label. I still, even above, like you spend, you can spend as much as you want really. Yeah, for sure. And to me, I don't, I don't have the most sophisticated palate at this stage, but I don't think it really gets much better than blue label. I've, I've had like the, the expensive stuff, the real expensive stuff because, I want to taste it. Yeah. I want to like say that I've had it, but I think the price doesn't always mean quality. It means rarity as well. So no. like you can, you can spend 90 bucks on, uh, or 180 bucks on 30 mils of whiskey. Yeah. And it's never going to taste as good as blue no. label because it's only just because it's that expensive because there's, it's, there's limited amounts of it. Exactly. And yeah. I think that's got to, like, I try to tie that back to, when I was starting to move away from knowing every cocktail recipe and learning how to ferment and, you know, manipulate every flavor I could, I found more joy out of just reading the room and selling the right things Mm -hmm. or offering the right things. I should say, like, I'm not going to say I've talked people out of, you know, uh, putting 150 bucks for a shot of whiskey over the bar. I'm like, no way I have. But um, there have been times where people are like, oh yeah, like, how's that? I like this, but I, I want to try something like this. And being able to get that right is incredibly rewarding. Yeah. Like seeing the light bulb uh, flick in some people's head is excellent. It's good. And it's, it's a good experience when you've got a bartender that, that knows what they're talking about as well. It's and like, it's, yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Like, and it's the same with like, you can get a waiter and ask, like, oh, what's the best thing? I mean, oh, you know, it's all pretty good. Yeah. Okay, great. And nice. if you've got someone who's like passionate about food and like, oh, this and the textures and this, like, that's fantastic to like get a proper recommendation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And it's you know, it's about being a people person. Like hospitality is, uh, you have to think in someone else's shoes. That's why I think the best uh, hospitality staff are well travelled. Yeah, you know they they've been around. They've seen other people. They've realised other experiences. You know, you don't know how good a, uh, a hot chocolate is until you're in minus thirty five degree weather, and you're like. 
that is the best hot chocolate yeah. I've ever had. <laughs> so if you can kind of translate that into what you make and what you sell, how, how simple but how cool. Yeah. So how did the how did the knowledge of tequila then translate to gin? Uh, honestly, bugger all. Uh, <laughs> I like I I'm a, as I said I was like really geeky into bartending and you know I knew how distillation works. I knew that you know you boil an alcoholic liquid of any sort at a certain temperature below water's boiling point. Mm-hmm. That alcohol will become vapor and you condense fat through you know whatever machinery into an alcohol like a more alcoholic liquid yep um so our my aspect for gin which i've always had an affinity to it you know, it was kind of the first alcohol i really latched onto and tried to geek out on it came from years of pouring other people's gins yeah like um, if anyone goes to a bar even a pub you see like 20 gins on the shelf they're everywhere everyone's making them everyone's man and their cousin is making them the best thing about it is that it's not expressive of technique as much as it's expressive of flavor you want to portray. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of distillers out there that go, oh, I love you know those simple tank rays or, or you know, beef eater 24s or like these iconic brands mm-hmm. that make excellent gin um, and they want to make something like that with their own little Australian twist. Uh, we at threefold, I think me especially, just went, nah, man, cut that. I don't want people going, oh, it tastes like gin. I want people tasting my product and go, it tastes like something. Yep. It's kind of that Hendrix effect, that first time I see people taste Hendrix and, oh, my God, it tastes like cucumber. They instantly associate Hendrix and cucumber and things that they know. Yeah. Like they, they relate to it and that's so powerful a brand statement that you know people need to relate to your liquid it's all good that they go oh yeah it's really well balanced but what do you get out of it Mm. some people love that then that's fine subjective needs to happen that way but uh no it's we wanted something flavorful so pretty much we bought a still we knew how it worked we did all the paperwork we got some help from uh some distillers around adelaide that we know just going oh look you need to get this license this approval this is where you can get a steel from. This is where you can buy neutral spirit from. There are two ways you can go about it. You can make your own neutral spirit. Mm-hmm. Crazy hard. Right. And very expensive for the uh, equipment and yields very little. Okay. Or you can buy neutral spirit from a, uh, a third party and they'll take waste grain from farmers or winemakers and things like that. Waste grain, waste grapes, anything they can distill into a liquid above 96% alcohol. Yep. And on sell that to uh, other distillers who redistill that or macerate it or manipulate it however they want to come up with a flavorful gin. Yep. Um, so all gin need, needs to have juniper, um, little fennel seed uh, variant type of berry, uh, quite piney, bitter. Uh, all gin has to have that. That's just legal set by the world alcohol whatever. Yep. Um, so. We took aspects of our favourite gins and some of our friends' fa- like favourite gins, just built on that. So Never Never's a, a pretty reputable uh, South Australian distiller at the moment. They just load liquid full of juniper as far as you can push it yep. uh, before it gets unpalatable and then, you know, figure out the recipe from there. So, yeah, we wanted a big, bold juniper base, which gives lots of texture and lots of, lots of oil. And then we're like, 
oh, yeah, cool. Where do we want to drink this gin? Like, it, we thought of the final product before we thought of what we wanted to make. Yeah, that makes like sense. reverse engineer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Reverse engineered the whole thing. So citrusy, floral, uh, balanced out with something a bit savoury. Yeah, just kind of formulated. Oh, yeah, grapefruits are cool. Love grapefruit and gin. Lavender's floral. Sounds cool. Gives a really slick mouthfeel. And uh, rosemary's such a powerful ingredient. Like, it's so recognisable. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we kind of formulated from there and went, we want a gin and tonic that's vibrant, citrusy, all of those fun gimmicky words, but just delicious. Yeah. Like, unquestionably delicious. So... Uh, we thought of the gin and tonic first and it took us six months. Like we were running the still, you know, each time we ran it, it cost us like 300 bucks and on top of the, you know, the 20, 20 odd thousand dollars we just spent to buy a still yeah. uh, rather than get someone else to make it for us. Um, and, you know, there were times where we're like, yep, you know what this needs? Cardamom. This is going to taste so good with cardamom. And we tried it and like, this is the worst liquid I've ever had in my life. Yeah. <laughs> There's no science about how we actually formulated this gin recipe. It's just trial and error. Yeah. And I've seen recently somewhere, it was at a venue, but you've got you've got a few different mm-hmm. um, a few different gins now. Yeah. You, so did you, you started with just the one? We started with just the one, the yeah. aromatic. And we always planned to do more, but we had to, you know, figure out and grow organically. Uh, so the aromatic... Uh, you know, the very gin and tonic, vibrant, delicious one uh, was our first. Uh, over lockdown, uh, we worked one on sanitizer, but two on a uh, lemoncello. Lemoncello is just a uh, sweet lemon-based liqueur, but we wanted a point of difference. So we'll go to exhibitions and people would come to our stall, you know, and we've spent money to be here trying to expose the brand. They come in and just go, oh, I don't like gin and walk away. I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. We yeah. need to figure out how to ha- at least have a foot in a market that don't like gin. So we made a gin-based liqueur. Uh, we made a gin using all native Australian botanicals outside of juniper uh, that have somewhat of a uh, citrusy, lemony, limey uh, flavour or mouthfeel. Um, so Geraldton wax, uh, lemon myrtle, lemon aspen, sunrise lime. Made a gin based with that and then added heaps and heaps of lemon peel from the Riverland, let it sit like infuse and macerate for three months and then just finish finish it off with a uh, diluted sugar syrup to yeah. to cut it down to uh, low strength so we've got a sweet liqueur and now we've got a very savory gin um, pretty much Aiden uh, jumped on full time in October and went alright I want a new gin I want it to be heaps savory I want to have it with you know, pizza, antipasto. So we just threw in things that made sense with it. Yeah. Olives, bay leaf, capers, rosemary. No thought. Just this is what I want to do and we're going to figure it out till we get it right. That time it only took about a month to get that recipe. Wow. And we're really happy with it. Awesome. And it's just like we don't want any any crossover between what we do. Like uh, everything's got to be big, bold and flavorful. That's our brand, not like... Oh, yeah, there's a hint of that ingredient, mm. threefold product. Everything's just totally for the moment. Yep, awesome. Yep. Um, now, what what is your least favourite drink to make? To make? That you get you get like an order from somebody uh, at the bar. I hate to say it, but it's, it's, uh, it's a mojito because uh, to do a mojito 
and just for me geeking out to do it, mojito like perfectly right. Yeah. In my mind, it takes a lot of, you know, focus and technique and execution. You can do it simply and the drink will be fine. Uh, but to do it perfect, you know, you've got to crush your eyes and you got to have the right time. you got to have the perfect mint. you got to have the right variant of mint. you got to have good rum. you got to build it the right way. And, you know, when someone orders a mojito, you don't just order one mojito. Someone's ordering like, yeah, I'll grab eight mojitos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. It's going to take so long. <laughs> um, so there have been times where I've just kind of like dialed it in and I don't like that when, yeah. uh, when I do that. But yeah, whatever gets you through the day sometimes. Yeah. And do you have a favourite to make? Um, oh, God, at the moment. I don't know. I think just back to, you know, traditional whiskey sour. Uh, I was just about to say that's like during quarantine, that yeah. was that was like since we were at home all the time, we had time to like make drinks. Like we, I was getting into cocktails a bit and the whiskey sour is just the it's it's pretty quick. I yeah. love the flavour. Yeah. Don't need to have too many ingredients yeah. on hand, things like that. But um it's the same thing, uh, you know, bartenders trying to kinda of get lost in like when you get to a certain level, people are like, oh, yeah, I want to push the boundaries and I want to use this type of sugar or I want to like dial in different ratios this way so I get this type of flavour. Uh, and then when you go to make a whiskey sour that you've made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of times, you're like, why does this not taste exactly right? It's because, you know, techniques change. Yeah. My back, my back hurts so much these days and I'm not shaking the same as I used to. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not shaking... The same amount of time, different ice, lemon season. It, it, to get it exactly right uh, every time is, uh, yeah, it's a lot of attention to detail. Yeah. And so kind of dialing back my, my classics again and falling in love with, you know, the simple stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's been my go-to. Do you have – what's your favourite whiskey? Uh, whiskey at the moment, I – Try the other day. No, I didn't try it the other day. It's been out for a while. There's uh, a distillery called Cragenmore. Yeah. Uh, Scotch whiskey. So out of Scotland. And didn't even read what they were doing. It's just the distiller's edition, 2017, Cragenmore. It's pretty peaty, that one. Uh, this one, not so much. No. no is uh, And that's it. There's just distiller's edition, which means they were trying something new. Yeah, right. Like they didn't do much of it. Tried something new. Wicked is like something I'm sure is pretty hard to find now. Uh, but just saw it and gave it a look. But I guess go to uh, Talisker 10. Okay. Which is, you know, lightly smoky, heaps of salt. You know, you can kind of taste the coastal air on it, which is uh, getting a little romantic. But uh, <laughs> I, I love it. It's just an all around whiskey. Like yeah. Warm when it needs to be. And uh, I can still get through it in the middle of summer. Yeah. Yeah. So Desert Island. How uh how often are you are you are you having like shut shit down in the bar because someone's getting too reckless? Uh yeah yeah all the time yeah because um, I mean like that street is it's not your it's not your you know red square and rock no God, it's no. not your your young folks so it's it's relatively tame so yes. I was just I was just wondering like how how no, often down there it gets 
Out it's of actually a completely different crowd that you have to shut down, which involves a very different set of skills. Like it's, <laughs> it's the uh, sound it's, like our Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's all the uh, old fellas in suits that feel entitled. Yeah, that have you know had ninety three Peronis and go, what? I didn't do anything. It's yeah. like you flat out just made fun of a homosexual couple. Like, yeah, yeah. You are a piece of shit. <laughs> you need to leave. You know, it's a certain case. You know. Uh, when I worked at 2KW, which is a rooftop bar, um, I'd have, you know, eight dudes in suits with their fucking black Amex going, yep, let's go, another round of beers, another round of beers. And they would start getting really inappropriate with some of the female staff. Mm. I'd go up to my listen, guys, stop fucking around. Like, you're making everyone inappropriate. I want you here, but, you know, they're starting to get out of hand. And they're like, oh, yeah, whatever. I'm like, how about this? How about this? You all get... One more round of espresso martinis. They're hammered. Yeah. I know they're not going to drink them. Get one more round of espresso martinis and I'll get you on the door at the firm, like a local strip club. Yeah. And they're like, oh, that's wicked. It's seven o'clock at night. The firm's not even open yet. Yeah. They're so pumped for the firm. They get their espresso martinis, pay for them, and go, oh, fuck this. Let's leave. Yeah. And I've just got rid of them and Perfect. taken 160 bucks while I'm at it. <laughs> so there's, uh, it, the more you experience it, the more you're like, oh, no, I know how to. I know how to deal with this. Yeah. I, um, when I lived in Townsville, I just worked at like an RSL mm-hmm. and it was, it wasn't so much like shutting down, like guys acting crazy, but like older dudes, yeah. like passing out on the bar and trying to get them out. That was, it's, uh, it's a thing, man. Yeah. It still happens. Yeah. It still happens everywhere. Yeah. But, uh, and you and yeah, you feel sorry for some people. Night after night, some of yep. these guys. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's, and yeah, I've I've had a there. There have been a few bar flies that I've just gone. I honestly don't feel comfortable serving you. And like, what do you mean? I come in here all the time, and like, yeah, you that's the problem. Blackout every <laughs> night. Yeah, you your health cannot keep up, and I I'm just not gonna. Yeah, sorry. And he's like, you can't do that, man. Like the laws in South Australia, yeah, I absolutely can. Mm. And uh, I, the street's gotten behind it a bit. Like a, a few of us, you know, I'm a bit of a mafia. We just kind of sit together every now and then, talk about regulars on the street, talk about problems, and go, "Yeah, this fellow's been a bit of an issue. He's harassing staff." And we'll all go, "You're not welcome here." Yeah, he's not welcome anywhere. He's not coming on the street anymore. Yeah, yeah there's certain aspects to deal with it. Uh, how did you go with hospitality? You still any any thought of going back into it? No, no, no not oh. for me. Yeah. Uh, but like, oh, to an to an extent, like I've got my coffee brand exactly, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like not not serving it. Yeah, like just trying to trying to get into venues and just sell it yeah. um, online and stuff like that. But um, no, nah, not 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 for me. Getting back into hospo. You big foodie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to get out. Try to get out a fair bit and. Uh, usually try new places. Yep. And Adelaide is just like sort of, yeah, there's new stuff popping up all the time. So mm. it's pretty pretty easy to like, um, yeah, keep going to new places and have a decent feed. Like we went to that Kumo, the new yep. Japanese place. Um, Japanese is tough in Adelaide. I haven't, sure. haven't had a lot of great Japanese food here. Black Dog Cafe is my favourite. Um, it's like... It's out out of the city. It's on Green Hill Road, um, but across, um, what's it called? Um, 
uh, Port Rush. Yeah. So it's a bit gotcha. further up that yeah, way. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's that's like pretty much the only place I'll go for Japanese. Go to, yep. yeah. Fair enough. Um, so it wasn't bad, Kumo, but it just wasn't like – I just was – because it's like marketed as like super fancy and it's like up the top of the skyscraper and all this, yeah. I was like, oh, it's going to be lit. And it just was like, okay. Uh, you've been to Japan? No, I haven't. Uh, nor have I, but everyone that goes is like – the food there is out of control and they talk about the most simple things. Yeah. The food is amazing. And like, how do you equal that? Like, yeah, these people have been doing it for their whole life. Like, yeah, it's been two years rolling rice to make sushi. Yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, it's like, a um, they're, they're so, uh, dedicated to their craft. They're like yeah. everyone, whatever they do, they are like the samurais of it, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's just so, so much focus and like dedication. Yeah, dedication I was just talking to someone about it the other day. Like they've got a they've got a word for um, dying at work <laughs> because it's like that's the honourable thing to do is just work, just work until like it's like you're not supposed to retire. That's yeah, it's just yeah. Like, it's oh, crazy. Man, I'm man. So like, there's such a different culture. There's so many people in hospitality in Australia that take pride in. Um, Eighty-five. I worked ninety, hundred hours yeah. this week. Yeah, and I'm like, you know what's more impressive than that? Doing eighty hours of work in a forty-hour week. Like, aim for that. Yeah, and then go home and get a life. Fucking hell, I can't, I can't deal with that. I hate, like, at the moment, you know, doing this other business and um, uh, opening a few bars and within a few year period. Like, yeah, there have been some big weeks, but I'm not. If there's nothing to do, I'm, I'm going home. Yeah, you've got this. <laughs> I don't need to be here every minute of every day. So it's a really important thing to get a life balance. Otherwise, I think you lose track of what hospitality is. Yeah, for sure. And it's so it's so easy to like start start getting hours up like that mm. in that in that yeah, industry. So involved in work. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of a lot of people in that industry work at different places. So you finish a shift, you go to another one. Yeah, and yeah. So it's like it's so easy to get lost in it. Yeah. There's so many like you know the the stereotype of like chefs all being cokeheads. Yeah, it's like the hours are so fucked, and you, you finish so late, and then you go out and party all night, mm-hmm. and then by the time you finish partying, you go back to work again. Yeah, they just like imagine you know you cutting onions for three hours, and then someone burning your onions. Yeah, <sighs> I'd be fucking shitty too. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd probably crack a tantrum, but yeah. you know you can't do that because you're cracking tantrum at everyone and other yeah. people. So it, uh, it, it's actually, I've noticed chef culture uh, around the world has gotten a, a lot more calm and focused. There are still a few bad apples, but, you know, people, it's an emotional game out there. Yeah. You know, 18 hour day, half of it doing one thing and then someone dicks it up. Crazy. Yeah, that's Crazy nuts. to think about. What, so what, um, what bars have you opened? Uh, so 2KW, I was a part of uh, opening up. Oh, or, wow. Okay, yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. So I was, I was... You know, obviously didn't put any money in it or any nonsense like that, but I was one of the ground crew, so I think I was staff member number four or something like okay. that. Okay. So when putting together the back bar and spirit selection, cocktail list, I was a big part of that, and even just carrying the furniture up yep. and then training the staff, and that's, that's the hardest. Yeah. Coming up with ideas on how to serve drinks and buying glassware is easy. Getting everyone to think the same way you think mm. is very difficult. And I still get it at Paloma when I get new staff. Uh, they come in and go, all right, where are the cocktail spec sheet? I'm like, no, I've already sent it to you. There's like, you don't have time to look at a recipe. 
when someone asks for a cocktail, if you're not ready to do it, I'll do it. Yeah. But until you prove that, uh, it, it it's just a visual thing. Like, imagine spending 20 bucks on a drink and going, yep, no worries. And then someone looks at a recipe card. I'm like, yeah, no, I don't like that. Nah, cut yeah. that shit. That's uh, that's amateur hour stuff. Um, like I get it. Like that, the bartenders I hire uh, are students and have lives. And yeah, that's number one. I've got to look out for their future and their education and what they want to achieve, and try and promote that into what can help me. But at the same day, like I'm running a business here, man. Mm. and I need people to come back and I need them to have trust in what you do. So, yeah, I do throw them in the deep end a bit, but I think the way I explain and formulate things, uh, they catch on pretty quick. Yeah. yeah so, But um, Toronto um, jumped on a ground crew there for uh, one of the La Carnitas that they opened, which is dive Mexican Southern Californian taco joint. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, same thing, just watching staff fall apart and then you know being there for them when – to pick them up and make sure everything stays afloat. Yeah. That's that's the main thing, just discipline, consistency. You don't need to be the best. You just need to be there all the time to make sure everyone's leaving happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then hopefully a new new distillery coming up uh, in the next few months. Oh, really? Yeah. Growing? Yep. Yeah. So we're, we're in a shared warehouse with a couple of winemakers in Stepney. And it's going good. But threefold's growing way too quickly. Like, we need space. We, yeah. We need and is it still just the three? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we do have uh, one uh, one fella on the road for us, Nathan. So we got a sales rep just to go to a couple of uh, venues that, you know, we, we knew half the bartenders in the city, like yep. in, the, in the city. But as far as all the hotel owners and hoteliers around the coast and out in the suburbs, no idea who they are. Mm. So this dude, Nathan, who just left a, um, a larger company, went, oh, I've got nothing to do. He said, cool, well, I'll help you out. Learned the brand, goes around, says hello to the old boys, throws some suits back, see you later. Yeah. And the best money we ever invested. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah, just grows, grows organically. Uh, and you can find more and more people talking about us. But once we move into the, uh, the new site, if it all gets approved, uh, we're looking at our own venue, like 150, 180 people, potentially. Cool. Plus the production site, plus, you know, expanding exponentially and trying to get we – no, we're barely interstate yet. Yep. So we're doing this all based off of South Australia, uh, South Australian trade. Um, so the thought of, you know, going into a large hotel group interstate and them going, yeah, we need a pallet of booze. Yeah. Like petrifies me. Yeah. <laughs> That's so much work. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's all part of the journey, I guess. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, because I'm doing the, the repping for Youngblood yeah. at the moment, and that's... Um, it's delicious. I love it. Yeah, I'm doing one now. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that... Because I'm not, I'm not used to, um, you know, that, that side of things, really. Yeah. But, like... I've got to do it for the coffee as well, so like it's it's um it's yeah. good good way to meet people and sort of find out a bit more about the industry. Yeah. Um, and that that area, Peel and Lee yeah. Street, is the like That's the hub. Yeah, That's where you want to get a few yeah. accounts, especially for craft. Like, obviously, yeah. you're not going to be looking at nightclubs or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah. How, how is young? Yeah. How, how are you trapped finding young blood? How long have you been with them? Uh, I've probably 
probably like where are we? We're at May. Yeah. So probably before like probably like almost a year now. I yeah. think like around August, September, maybe last year. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Gotcha. Because yeah, I definitely tried it before. I forget who who came in. Steve almost. probably. Yeah. Just dropped in at a four pack and went, yeah, I'll try this. And thought it was good, but it's such a hard market. It, gin aspect, like gin, craft beer yep. are like the two most competitive markets. Yeah. Like it's it's so saturated. Yep. Especially South Australian gin at the moment. It, there's take your pick. You know? Exactly. There's so many. And they're all good. Yeah. Like there's not many. And same bad with craft beer. There's not there's not a whole lot of craft beer that I'm drinking that I'm like, oh Yeah. Because people true. beer drinkers know like they know whether they like a pale or an IPA or a lager yeah. or whatever. So like it's easy to just if you get that type of beer, you're probably gonna like it. Exactly. You have to be extraordinarily bad at uh, brewing for for me to go that like that pale ale doesn't taste like clean or you know doesn't taste refreshing. Yeah, crisp or you know, things like that. It's so I can imagine like going into bottle shops and going, oh yeah, I just need to clear a bit of space you know, on the shelf means like not getting this today like. and that yeah that's that's most of the battle is like just being seen regularly so when something does yeah. sell out you can be the next one in that was it nathan our, our sales rep is perfect to that he's just persistent yeah like he, he hassles people for months on end and then finally sends out a text like super casual like hey mate ready for a gin and he's like well actually yes yeah uh, because you know when you've got eight people trying to throw liquid at you at a time and you're already two two bottles over on your shelf, yeah. You, you lose track. Yeah. It's no no fault of anyone. It's just the way it is. And it's just like it's. I feel like it's uh it's tough to get repeat business as well mm. because I think it's similar with gin and and craft beer. People people are trying new stuff all the time. Yeah. So they might love threefold, but then be like, oh, what's this urban distilling company? Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna try this. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that's the same like people get mixed six packs. Like that's how you sell craft beer is one beer at a time. Yep. You're not selling a slab. You're not selling oh. a six pack even. What a slog. Yeah. What a goddamn slog. Yeah. Depending on the, on the venue that they're selling out of, but like people that have a big wall of craft beer are not generally selling a six pack of one beer. They're selling a mixed six pack yep. or a mixed slab. Like, yeah. Yeah. Couldn't imagine. Yeah. It's nuts. I really couldn't imagine. Like I, I did a trip to Brisbane uh, a couple of months ago, my brother lives up there, and I thought, oh, while I'm here, I may as well, you know, show the wares. Yeah. So I bought a few bottles of gin, and like, I was, it was excellent. I was throwing bottles at people. Yeah. Like, people going, oh yeah, cool. You got this, this, this. I'll grab two of each. I'm like, yeah, two bottles of each, mixed six packs. I'm like, no, oh, mate, just give me two cases of each. I'm like, wow. Oh shit. All right. And you know, I left there selling, got up to nineteen, twenty cases, which wow. for one day is huge. That's unreal. And then, you know, I message back going, oh, yeah, how's it going? Yep, still on the shelf. And I'm like, when do I realise if I'm being a nag? Yeah. Or if I'm actually helping them out? Like, yeah. I don't know. So uh, They they get it. It's the game. Yeah, of course. Because right? I was, when I first started, I was the same way. Um, uh, Steve would be like, oh, have you been here? I'd be like, yeah, I went there like four weeks ago. He's yeah. like, get get in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, and, they're, and they're, you know, at the very least – they work in hospital and they're at least up for a chat if they don't need more mm. stock anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Most bar managers are up for a chat and a free beer. Yeah, if you're carrying a can. So how'd you go in uh, Brisbane? You you like it there? 
Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll, it's just like a it's like a warmer Adelaide. Yeah, I was really surprised. Um I've I've always never been too big a fan of uh like the thought of Brisbane. And mm. I don't know why. Like my my stepdad was very New South Wales, like diehard blue supporter. So yeah. maroon was a dirty word in uh in our house because of you know the rugby league yeah. uh connotation. But uh when my brother moved up there years ago and he didn't really want to move up there either uh, every time i go up there I'm, I'm just pleasantly surprised i'm like i could absolutely live here yeah um but some people hate it yeah i still find people like Mardo, uh, one of our mates yeah he hates brisbane really yeah it, okay he kind of explained it like that episode of the simpsons when homer goes to new york and he just has the worst time ever like yeah. everything goes wrong he's like yeah that was <laughs> yeah, like, I've, yeah i've been there a funny. few times like i've played there like we used to play in brisbane a bit yeah. And um, one of my exes had family there, so I went. I went with her, and we had the best time there, man. Like, good. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Loved it there. Yeah, go to the valley. Um, uh, with my team, yeah. I went. Not with my, not with my <laughs> girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Fortitude um, Valley. Yeah, yeah, it gets good. a bit. Um, makes Hindley Street look yeah, like it's uh, a bit spicy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's nuts, man. Um, probably one of. The, the, we went to one of the strip clubs there and it was like it was like the size of crazy horse but probably the uh the level of strats <laughs> yeah it wasn't it was not a, it wasn't a good time it wasn't That's a so good time bad. at all drink specials all night though so. oh how good <laughs> bucket of corona or what no, just like just cheap, just tr- cheap singles. So you're going up, you're just going up, and you're like, oh yeah, let me get you know 15 beers. Got the whole team here. It's like, yeah. all right, that'll be that'll be you know 35 bucks. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> let me get 60. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when, like, when's the last time you went to a country pub, like proper country pub? Or I'm trying to think. Probably, probably not for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I went, I went on a houseboat with a couple of bartenders. Oh, fuck this! Maybe nine years ago now, and um, went to the Manum Pub, and you know, this was not for an afternoon beer and a schnee. This was all right. Let's see if we can uh, pick up at the Manum Pub on a Wednesday night. Oh God! And uh, get in there. We're all kind of coherent except for That's one of next us. Next door, next door to the Lawn Bowls Club. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember. Um, one of us and one of us goes up, Jason, and he's like destroyed, like absolutely plastered. It's the wall, and he's like twenty dollar buckets of cruises. Wow! And he there's there's <laughs> ten of us, and he looks at the bartender, can barely speak, and go, "I'll have eight buckets of cruises, please." And she looks and like, "Really?" And he's like, "Yep." <laughs> Puts on eight wow. buckets of cruises. So yeah. Wednesday night, snorkeling cruises. Yeah, wow. That's, Madam Pub. They would never have seen anything like it. Oh, <laughs> I don't even know. Like, yeah. Why would you do that? <laughs> Man, cruises are dangerous, dude, because that's, that's, a, that's a hangover waiting to happen, all yeah. that sugar. The, the cruiser craze, like people getting back around it, is got to be the strangest thing. Yeah. Like they're, they're even sell, they're selling like 10 packs. with they're all, It's all 10 different flavors. They're yeah. doing all that now. It's like... People, I don't know, they just treat them like shots. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just have a shot? Yeah. We had uh, Christmas time. I, 
I had some friends come over and we're sitting sitting out the back at the outside table and um, we're just having some drinks and then a couple of friends rock up and they've they've both got a slab of cruises each. Yep. I was like, oh, here when we go. <laughs> Agile. <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Um, and what's the other one? Seltzers. Yeah, the low-calorie yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, two completely different aspects of, like, booze trends. Like yeah. One so bad for you. <laughs> and one bad for you, but, you know, less calories. Yeah. Like, they're going mental. Because that, cause that went off in America. Uh, yeah. And it was all over, like, barstool sports and stuff, like the White Claw. Yeah. And then... Like the next season, like probably six months later, in Australia, it was just like huge. Huge, yeah. Uh, our owner at 2K and Paloma went to me like, "Oh, do you want to get seltzers in the bar?" I'm like, "Absolutely not. Why? Why would I cut out of the vodka lime soda crowd? That makes no sense." He's like, "It's an 11.3 billion dollar industry in America." <laughs> I'm like, "That's great, but put them in the pubs, man. Like, yeah. what are you on about, like?" That, that'll change the demo of 2KW pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> oh, man, there's so many tricks you do. Like, they try to keep uh, certain demographics out of 2K and, like, not having Jack Daniels just keeps so many people away. They come in one time, you got Jacks? Nah. And I'm not trying to be unwelcoming. Like, yeah. you just know who you're marketing for. And they will never come back because you don't have Jack Daniels. Yeah. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy, and it's just it's just the way it works. Like, like Bundy, you know, yeah. you know who you're getting when you've yeah. got Bundy. Like, so don't have it. <laughs> yeah, um, go visit the Paramount uh, wholesaler of alcohol in in, uh, in Australia, in, uh, in Adelaide, and we went. We joined up with Paramount to sell threefold, like as warehouses, and take care of the finances for us. Uh, like. Uh, think january properly last year and this is just before the fringe and the clips or the adelaide 500 and they had like like um shipping containers of bundy and bundy cans it's crazy and woodstock cans getting ready for the clips or woodstock woodstock cans that was my first drunk my first how did that feel i haven't touched it since yeah yeah i've got ptsd yuck yeah i did uh my first proper drunk was uh, my four best friends, Mardo, Matty B, yep. Vinny and Ben. And we drank UDLs on Australia Day and went to Moses Square and, you know, a bunch of you know, rats running around in public. Uh, but I vomited rainbows. Yeah, Like dude. orange, purple, all <laughs> the fun colours, man. Yeah. Just so... Oh gross! Yeah, UDLs and red bears. Remember that red, red bears. bears. I don't. I don't even know man. if that's still a thing. Uh, orange red bears. That's that's a thing, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, that was my schoolies. Yeah, that was. Yeah, those were the those were the move back then. And pulse and um, what was it called? Like a atom bomb or um, oh, nuclear bomb? Or I don't. I remember pulse really well. Um, uh, double blacks. You remember double blacks? Oh, uh, yeah. 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 This is all, yeah. So how are they? Eleven bucks. I don't know how I didn't get diabetes, like just from alcohol back then. I think about like the amount of like red bears and cruises I used to put away when I was, you know, not of age. Yeah, and I still kept a like somewhat of a good figure. And now I drink one beer and I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, busting out of my shirt. (laughs) Exactly. Like fuck, I hate getting old. Yeah, man. Uh, Don't get it. Yeah, my first. So I think my first. 
time getting drunk was Woodstock and I didn't get sick. Yeah. Like I only had like a few. Yeah. And then my first time throwing up was off of light beer. My <laughs> man. My man. I think it was just an overload of like carbs. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. But that was, that was fucked. I love it. Yeah. I never really understanding booze when I was younger and I, I went to, you know, I'd have a six pack of beer every time I went to a party and go, all right, that'll do me. I, I never really got into blacking out that much and still about it but it happened yeah and then i remember going to uh, a friend's birthday and it was a daytime event we watched the footy all that and i drank a carton of beer i'm like man i'm some sort of drinking machine this is incredible yeah and then like the day a day later i'm like oh light beer light alcohol (laughs) what a fucking waste of my time yeah (laughs) just filling up (laughs) yeah just filling up (laughs) getting nothing done yeah uh yeah funny um well, thanks for coming, man. Uh, so me. everybody, buy buy threefold, buy threefold, and go have a look at Paloma. Yep, yep. That's that's you'll see me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll be there. Um, yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you. Uh, did you want it? Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk? Uh, your mate Flamo. Your mate Flamo. Threefold to still. Right. Get around it. Cheers. Cheers. Baby, welcome to Baby, welcome to